Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, hello to our listeners. We have launched season two of the Story Forum podcast, and I'm really excited about this year's content. And today I have as my guest a friend and therapist, uh, Laura Freeman. Laura is a marriage and family therapist. She lives in New Orleans. And although she sees clients of all ages as a therapist, her heart is really for teenagers and adolescents. And I invited Laura on the podcast to, to discuss um, what she's seeing among the teenage population, among the adolescent population, when it comes to mental health challenges. And so, Laura, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So, Laura, I, I know it's impossible to talk about everything that you see week in and week out. But as you work with teens... As you have, you know, years of working with adolescents, what are, what are some surprising trends and, and themes that you're seeing as a therapist? That's a really good question. So what I'm noticing more and more is just the huge increase in anxiety, depression, perfectionism, uh, which the perfectionism then will lead to anxiety and depression, um, eating disorders, body image issues, and suicidal ideations. Mm-hmm. It's suicidal ideations for your audience that may not know, just suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And for teenagers, that's a very, for anybody, that's a very scary thought, a uh, very scary time. And it, it's overwhelming. It, you know, let me say this. there's always been aspects of this in our culture mm-hmm. that teenagers, it, we all know that it's a very difficult time. We, you're trying to learn how to navigate things socially, but there is added pressure that this generation has. I'm a millennial. I'm 33. So some things were just coming around. I'm sure we'll get to the, why I think it's had an uptick, but this generation specifically has it harder than any other generation before them. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you see as, as I would agree that just the complexity of the world that we live in. And so just from your own experience, what would you say would be the things that, that you experience within the, your generation that may be different than your parents' generation? Yes. So, so my, my, my parents' generation, well, one, we have to kind of think about the way the world has changed since I was. Yeah, so the internet came around then. So, you know, when I was young, there wasn't a lot of websites to go on to, especially for kids. And then the first aspect of social media was AIM. So you would have an instant message name. And that was the first chance that other than calling your friend on the telephone, and I do remember doing that, calling my friend on the telephone as a kid, be like, hey, does Susie want to come play or going to knock on somebody's door. When's the last time a child went to somebody's house and knocked on their door and asked them to play? No, that was when I was young. And then we had instant message and you'll, for the most part, you always knew who you were talking to, but there was a little bit of an anonymity there. And 
actually, I talked to a teenager about this yesterday that you got that first layer of cover. Mm-hmm. Um, something that my parents didn't have. Mm-hmm. They, their generation did not have any kind of internet. And so when you were home, you were home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this is now sounding like a podcast where I'm just going to hate on social media and it's true. I am, <laughs> but I mean, I think there's beautiful things about social media, and, but what's happening is when I was a kid before a and before I got a cell phone, so my first cell phone was in ninth grade and I, so t- I really just had text messaging calls and I could play the game snake on a cell phone. If you remember snake, it was a fabulous yes. game, uh, anxiety producing, but a great game. Mm-hmm. And so if you're at school and you're getting bullied, right, or your girls are picking on you or boys, well, then you got to go home and from three o'clock until seven the next morning, you were at home. You were away from the, the not even just bullying, I just feel like social pressures to fit in and look a certain way. You had that many, many hours of rest. To recoup before recoup before going back to school the next day and having to face it, and teenagers today do not have that. Uh, so my first ex- exposure, like I said, was AIM, and so I could talk to friends at home, and I got bullied over that. I was dating some boy, and some other girl wanted him and threatened to beat me up, and anyway, we had to get the school involved, and so that was twenty-ish years ago. Um, about 17, I guess, years ago that that happened. But now, but that was the computer, right? In the, in the, in the living room where everybody could see it. That's how my parents found out about it because I walked away and they came over as good parents do. And I do think good parents do this. They just looked through what was going on and they said, Laura, something's wrong. But teenagers today, they have it all in their hands Mm -hmm. and they can sneak away to their rooms and parents very rarely know what's going on in order to step in. Yeah. I mean, it creates the madness of you're always on. Um, I, th- I yeah. think I, I think I'd shared this before and, and maybe we did a, a podcast maybe last season, but just the idea that, you know, in, in the 1920s, um, you know, the, the most famous movie star, you know, would maybe have a span of several, several hundred people that, that they would be able to interact with and influence just by the virtue of society. Now Mm -hmm. it, it opens it up to, you know, a portal of thousands of people uh, through Mm -hmm. social media Mm -hmm. that all over the world, potentially that you're always on. You can never, you can never shut it off. You don't have those times like you and I have experienced that at three o'clock you go home after school, um, you play with your friends, and you you, you don't have that uh, mechanism that keeps you bound to uh, connection to people's opinion, uh, to yeah. the harm that can be done through that. Uh, and and so do you, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, can I speak yeah, to that real quick yeah, before we go to the next question? Absolutely. Just just think about. Like what you're saying is this, the international aspect. You know, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, and your teenagers, or we all do, even as adults, compete in some ways of a hierarchy of 
you know, you want to be the prettiest girl or the strongest boy in your class. Well, you're com- when we were young, we were just competing against the people in our schools. And that was hard enough. Now, with social media, teenagers are competing to be the prettiest, funniest, strongest globally. Not just in America, not just in Tennessee or in Louisiana, but you want to become an influencer. And so you are competing to be the best among millions of other teenagers around the world. And that kind of pressure is crippling that, you know, someone in your school could be famous and get, you know, a million likes because she's an influencer and you only get a hundred thousand likes. (laughs) That's still a really large number. And so again, we've taken this globally in connection, which is good in some ways, but again, it, it makes teenagers feel they have to compete um, at a different level, mm-hmm. which is hard. So let's chase that one. If where does that competition lead to, to damage within the soul of teenagers? Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, we all have questions, internal questions that we want answered, that kids want answered from their parents and then they want answered from their peers. They want to know that they are worthy, likable, that people care for them, that people will stand up for them, that they're, I guess it's the worthy is the word that that keeps coming to my mind. And and as Christians, we know that we are worthy because God says that we're worthy. And our worth should still come from Him, but God still made us for relationships. And so we want that from other people. You know, kids initially look to their parents when they're young to say, are you going to take care of me? Are you going to keep me safe? Uh, James Dobson does a good book on, he talks about that in one of his books about kids looking at their parents. Well, then they start to look to their peers. (laughs) And so before all social media, it, you would find it in just whatever peer group you came to. And so you were only, again, just competing with the people right there in that, in your school. And that's damaging enough. If you've ever been ostracized by a friend group, the girls talk behind your back, the boys invite you to a party or don't invite you to come hang out with them. I mean, that damages you because, then Satan, if we talk about like the enemy, then says, well, you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. You're not special. That's why they're not inviting you. And that is the theme throughout human history when it comes to relationships, whether it be teenagers or just even adults being left out. But now we have added this extra layer of, oh, you didn't get enough likes on this post or people didn't share it. So not only are you rejected by the people around you, you're being rejected by strangers on the internet. And so that just answers that internal question in a wrong way of nobody likes you. You're, you're worthless. You're ugly. It's, it's probably because you're too fat or you're not smart enough or, or you're too much. Right. But I think for women and at least in most Bible studies I've ever been in, and I would say men feel the same way. It's just women feel I'm too much and not enough at the exact same time. And it starts, I think in teenage years. Yeah. 
And I think you're describing the reason why we are seeing this incredible uptick in more and more adolescents experiencing symptoms of anxiety, depression, um, suicidal thoughts. It is a maddening world um, that that our our brain, our body, our soul um, it was not meant to live within the ecosystem <laughs> that we live in, yeah. you yeah. know, and, and so you see the residual damage of that is, um, I think you communicated that, you know, beautifully that this is something that the expanse, what used to be a smaller peer group that has existed throughout all human relationships of, I feel rejected. This person's the outsider. We're going to pick on this person. That's part of evil in the fall and living in a broken world. But now the expanse of that has become uh, exponential in the lives of teenagers. And, and we see the damaging effects of that. And so, so Laura, as a therapist, you, as you see teenagers, what's as a, as a parent, because there's part of me as a parent that just says, get rid of all of it. Get rid of it. Don't do it. But that's the way that connection happens. Um, That is the portal by which connection happens within our world. So what are, what are, what are parents to navigate? How do parents navigate through that? What, you know, is there, is there a, are there boundaries when it comes to our Mm -hmm. consumption of social media? Are there ways that we can say we're going to use it? here and then we're going to shut it off you know as you're meeting with um say you're meeting with a a young teenage girl and she's feeling this sense of condemnation shame um i am a stranger and alien i don't fit in and and i'm getting piled on by you know issues within you know comments and harsh comments to me what do you do do you say just get rid of it Uh, how do you navigate through it Oh, that is a million dollar question. And that is a, that is a hard question. And I, I fall, I want to fall to the extreme kind of like where you get sometimes just like, we're done. We're not doing it. Just get off. But in some ways that's not practical because even when it comes to, you know, churches and, and advertising youth group stuff, it, you know, a lot of it comes from social media. Exactly. So there's, there's not this a hundred percent negative aspect of it and one I want to just speak to parents and encourage them like it's okay if you don't know what to do parents because this is the first generation that has had this we so just giving yourselves a break as parents that you don't know how to navigate this because it's not it's not easy Um, especially if you want to be countercultural so I want to talk about countercultural a little bit and then I want to I'll move into some practical boundaries, but it is, we are called as Christians to live counterculturally. Like we are called to stand apart and look different. I, I mean, I remember very distinct things as a child, not being allowed to do certain things. I wasn't allowed to wear, um, that today you couldn't, I'm not trying to harp on clothes right now, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Because I, I got, well, I got in a conversation with some of my girls because I went to Washita Baptist University as a Christian college. We were looking at some of the Instagram photos from 
and the girl, I was like, I would have never worn that before, especially mm-hmm. at Washita Baptist University. But anyway, we're, we are called to look different. We are called to live different movies that we were not allowed to watch growing up, uh, places we weren't allowed to go, holidays we weren't allowed to participate in. I mean, those kind of things Like we, we were different. And I, I think one, we need to really look at that and go as Christians, are we standing apart? And as parents, are we pushing our kids to look different and, and letting them know we are not here to be slaves to this world and what the world is expecting of us. So that's one key question I would ask. And parents should ask themselves that as well of what they're participating in and such things. Because if you're, you can't do that for yourself, you cannot do it for your children. Mm -hmm. Then if, so then boundaries, I think one understanding that each child is different. So I'm not going to give some sort of magical age that, Oh, at this age, you should be allowed to have social media. I, you know, I would like to push it at least till high school if possible. Um, I think that would be better. There's actually the, that professor that came and spoke at fellowship mm-hmm. years ago, remember? And he mm-hmm. was um, talking about pornography and he was saying, give your kids a dumb phone compared to a smartphone until they're 16. And then after that, and I think that that is a fabulous idea uh, so I would very much push that, but boundaries. Okay. So I've actually watched some parents walk this out very well. Some friends of ours, they have two teenage girls and they did not allow them to have social media until high school. And when they did, they made their daughters <laughs> put a presentation together on why they think they should have social media. And I thought that showed a lot of maturity that the parents could go, okay, they understand the risks and the potential downsides, but then they also were able to show their parents some good sides. And I think that that's a, a maturity thing. It's kind of like some of you parents that are listening, you can probably look at your 16-year-old child and think, man, they are not mature enough to drive yet. Just because you turn 16 does not mean that you were mature enough to be behind a wheel. And you may need a little bit more time. And that's okay. It doesn't mean anything about your child. Or at 18 years old, you may not be mature enough to go off to college and live in a dormitory. And we see kids that are forced to go do that or, or push themselves, and they end up coming home after a semester. And that's okay. It's just they weren't ready. And so you as a parent have to look at your individual child and decide, okay, are they mature enough to be able to handle it? And most of the time, the answer is no. And let me, I, I, here, here's how I know that. Because most adults cannot handle social media well. I know we've all seen posts by adults where they have blasted their somebody. <laughs> they've blasted their neighbor. They've blasted their ex-husband. They've blasted one of their friends, their child's friends. Mm-hmm. If adults cannot handle social media well with their brains being totally developed, why do we think that kids can? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one boundary. It's just mm-hmm. like you have to look at your own individual child. Mm-hmm. Two is your child does not need to have complete, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
you need to be able to look at what your child is doing. You need to have the passwords to their social media. And I know that that, and I've said this to teenagers and they look at me like they got daggers in their eyes for me. I'm like, it is for your protection. I have worked with teenagers who have thought they were talking to somebody that was helpful or kind of, they didn't really know who they were. And it turned into a terrible situation beyond terrible. And these are good teenagers, good families. They just, they're young. It's not that kids are, are dumb. They're young and we need to treat them like they're young. Um, there's a podcaster I really like, and he, he says, handing your kid a phone is like handing them a weapon. If you wouldn't hand your kid a gun, why would you hand them a phone with the entire world at their fingertips? I think that's a really good question that parents have to Mm -hmm. have to be able to answer. And if you have, and if your kid gets mad and fine, we live counterculturally, right? Like you would, you yell at your kid when they run into the street because you want to keep them safe. Why would you, not do the same thing when it comes to this, just because everybody in their school has a phone, just be, well, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> right? like, I, don't care I mean, so, okay. Another helpful thing, um, I think is not letting kids have their phones alone, mm-hmm. any kind of technology alone, mm-hmm. uh, taking their phones up at nighttime and asking them, why do you need a phone at night? There's no reason that you need a phone at night. When I was in ninth grade and I got my cell phone, and I was a really good kid. I, I'm not trying to brag on myself. I just, I didn't give my parents a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But I remember staying up late in my closet when my parents were to bed to text my friends or call somebody because there was some drama going on and I needed to be a part of it. And I ended up got, getting caught and got grounded. But that was not okay, right? Like that was not, I needed to be sleeping. I needed to be resting in order to handle the challenges of the day. I mean, I could also go off on how teenagers don't get enough sleep, but that's probably another podcast. (laughs) But like, um, parents need to protect the kids from themselves. That isn't that what we do as parents, like protecting them because they're not old enough to make good choices. That's why the age of consent is not until 17 or 18. That's why you can't vote until you're older. That's why you, I mean, there's so many, you can't fight in a war, you can't drink alcohol because we're protecting kids from themselves. So why do we think that it is good to hand them a phone? Those are, yeah. Excellent, Laura, excellent points. I mean, I think just, very practically, I love when you said um, we as Christians are going to live counterculturally. Um, you know, conversations that I, I have uh, is you're going to feel like an alien and a stranger because you are, yes. you know, yes. and, and that's very, very hard for uh, teens who just simply want to be a part of the crowd who want to be accepted, who want to be popular. Um, I, I remember years ago, um, you know, having conversations with our student pastors here and, and some of the conversations they were having with students, students saying, I'm not going to be cool if I'm a Christian. Yeah. And you say, well, it comes with a cost. Sure. That there is a holiness, there's an otherness. Um, and, 
you know, we're not we're not asking you to dress in a you know sackcloth and and <laughs> and to be you know totally alien to where you have no influence within the world. You're still a part of the world, but you're not of the world. And I think that's where parents also. Um, you know, need to understand that, need to understand there are unique pressures, that there are going to be things that cause your kids to feel like, I simply don't fit here. I am an outsider. And that comes with a cost, that comes with pain. And yet the protective part, what I'm hearing you say, there is a goodness to that. There's a protection to that. There's a reason. I mean, it goes back to the very heart of God. You know, the, the, the yeah. rules that God puts in place are not for a, a giving a restrictive I'm taking life away it's in order for you to experience life yes. you, know, but, you know I mean we always think of God being and I remember thinking this way God is a killjoy mm-hmm. right like that he doesn't want us to have any fun but when you think about the things that he commands us not to do that not to have sex before marriage like it is it is because he knows the downfall you know, when he tells us not to get drunk, it's because he knows what that leads to. It's not, he wants to protect us. And as, you know, something that I've learned over this year from my own situation, just some things have happened to me is that God gives us children, but they're not ours. Mm-hmm. They are always his mm-hmm. and he has entrusted them with us. And so how, how, what are we doing with the kids that we have been entrusted with to shepherd? Are we shepherding them in the way that God is calling us to, like God does as the good shepherd? Or are we saying, how close can we get to living as the world each day, but we'll still go to church on Sundays? And I think that's where we're seeing the epidemic of cultural Christianity, particularly in, you know, the Bible Belt South. There's a great deal of people who attend on Sunday that their hearts aren't changed. You know, it's more of a social thing. And so I do think that creates unrest within the home. That creates dynamics of environments that really aren't safe uh, for children. And thus, I think that's why we're seeing the increase of depression, anxiety, the the ongoing onslaught of mental health complexities at a younger and younger age. So, yeah. Laura, with this, your 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 training is a, as a marriage and family therapist. So, as you look at families, what do you what what do you wish parents would do more often when it comes to their teenagers? What are things that you would oh, yeah. want to look at and say? That's really good that you're doing that. Yes, great. Okay, so this leads me to the early days of the pandemic mm-hmm. um, with all the terribleness that happened. It was all, <clears throat> excuse me, it was also a beautiful time for some families that I noticed. So uh, we locked down around March and then April, things, everybody was kind of settling into, you know, we didn't know it was going to be another 10 months, but we, you know, there was a time it was like, okay, we're at home and, and families were together. Mm-hmm. So what I noticed is I had all these teenagers at the time, anxiety, depression, stress, all this stuff. And they were at home all day and they were getting bored in their room. So let me make a note about that real quick. Parents come to me all the time. Like my, my teenager never wants to come out of their room. They just never want to come out of their room. Mike, well, you have given them a cell phone, a tablet, 
a PlayStation and a TV. You've made it an oasis for them. I also would never want to come out of my room. Right. Um, when I was growing up, I had none of those things. I didn't spend a lot of time in my room because it was boring in there. Mm-hmm. So I was forced to spend time with my family. Anyway, so the kids were getting tired. You know, they'd watch all the Netflix and nobody was posting on Instagram because nobody was doing anything. And so they, they were getting out of their rooms and families were being intentional of we're going to go on walks together and we're going to uh, we're going to do gardening and we're going to do puzzles. I'm trying to think of all the things different. People baked a lot. Remember, there was like no flour because everybody was trying right. to bake muffins and, and stuff. And I terminated so many, and termination means just we've ended counseling, so many teenagers during that time because poof, their anxiety and depression were gone mm-hmm. because they were with their families. They weren't going to four or five different activities every single week from volleyball to golf to choir to dance. They were just at home and they, they were in that family cohesion, just that time together and there was healing and there was so much beauty. Like I, it was astonishing to me. It was almost kind of like, you know, how, how can we stay in this? Uh, Now, the longer the lockdown went on, then we saw a huge spike in anxiety, depression, and suicide. So it's kind of, it's finding this balance between, so kids, teenagers specifically, are entering into what's called interdependence. So when your kids are little, they're in the very dependent phase. They're dependent on you for all things. When they move into teenage years, they're in an interdependence, meaning they have a, they need a little bit of independence to go out, explore the world. That's how they grow. That's how they prepare to be adults, how to learn how to navigate social interactions, which is very important. So I don't think parents should totally step in on all, you know, anytime their kids are having a hard time, kind of see how the kid navigates that. But then also the dependence part of they still need their families. They still need their moms and their dads and their siblings to be around to find safety and healing. That's what home is. It's a a safe, it should be a safety net. So for parents, how do we practically do that? We put time limits on social media, I think is is one. Um, We don't make our kids' rooms an oasis of technology that they always want to spend time in because I would also want to spend all my time in that room, right? Even as a 33-year-old woman, that sounds fun. But we're going, we're going to get out of our rooms. Um, we're going to, and can't, but, you know, teenagers do need alone time, so I think it's fine to allow them to be in the room some. But it, I think your listeners understand what I'm saying. You need to have family dinners where we talk to each other. There are no cell phones. We are looking at each other in the eye. We are asking what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? That's how I start every single one of my sessions. Tell me the best part about your day. Now tell me something that was hard about it. Get their little minds working. And if, if you're not good as a parent knowing how to like start conversations, if you go on Pinterest and you just look up family conversations, questions, ask them little questions. Their little hearts want to share with that with you. Now they might balk at it at first, eventually they love it. Let me tell you a secret that I hear from teenagers all the time. They'll say, Oh, I just don't feel like my parents care. I just don't think they, they, they um, think about me that much. 
And then I hear from parents, well, they're in their room all the time. And so, and whenever they, I try to engage with them, they yell at me or they sass me or something. And so both people are screaming, the teenager and the parent, I want to be with you. Mm-hmm. And so you, as parents, you just got, you have to learn how to navigate that and like keep busting up in that room and saying, Hey, we're going to do these things. You have to be a part of one of them, mm-hmm. you know, not giving them too many chances to get out of it. Um, you have to come to the family dinner table at least. That's, and if you just kind of want to start small, we're going to start family dinners and you have to be here. Yeah. Those, those types of things, we're going to, we're all going to ride to church together. You know, if that's a possibility. I know people serve and all that. They're like, we're going to do this family thing together. Um, another thing I hear from parents, or well, like a complaint from teenagers is, oh, my parents, they always want me to be home. They never let me out. And that, that's true for some. I think some parents maybe don't let their kids out enough. And the parents are doing that because like, oh, we need to spend more time together. But then the parent doesn't actually do anything with their kids while they're home. Right, everybody goes to their corners, and so I always tell parents, "Like, what's the point of not allowing your kid to go out with their friend if for family time? If we're not actually having family time, so let's start implementing some family time, some just structured. We're going to have a game night on Thursdays. We're going to cut down to just one activity. That's what my rule, my parents' rule in my house was: is one activity at a time. Um, and you know, every once in a while, something would overlap, but rarely. So those are the kind of things that parents can just practically do to help that teenage relationship mm-hmm. along. And what I'm hearing you say is that there is, um, there's real healing and, um, and safety in the connection that we have in family relationships, that there is a safe haven that comes within our home that when we feel attuned to one another, uh, mm-hmm. that that's a, a vital importance to the well-being of teenagers, um, that that they do feel um, mom and dad or, you know, single parent, whatever, th- there is a an attempt to try to connect into the emotional world um, and, and give a space uh, for teenagers to feel heard, uh, to to honor their voice, um, that doesn't mean you always get your way. Um, you know, I think probably the best homes are we love you beyond words and description. Yes, we love you, and no, you can't get your way um, all the time. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and so just having those, you know, those boundaries, those those things in place for your good. Um, and, you know, and, and I think that's, again, probably another reason that we're seeing the reality of more and more people that are dealing with uh, issues of mental health is because we've lost that we've lost the simplicity of, um, relational connection that actually brings, uh, significant steadiness and goodness into our lives. And, and so I think we have to fight for that, uh, you know, as, as a parent, you know, of, of older, you know, teens and young, and, and, you know, young adolescent, uh, daughters, um, you have to fight for that. You have to be intentional. You have to, 
you know, be willing to say no to good things uh, in order to uh, create an environment where kids can feel safe and connected and engaged. I think that's a key word, engaged. You're not just in your room with the door closed in the oasis that's everything is provided. And uh, I think that that's part of what we've lost uh, within our family that we have to work to recapture. Mm. Yeah. You, you know, there's, there's two, two points I want to make or two examples. You know, I don't, I'm not suggesting that parents become the no parents. Mm-hmm. We don't, I, I've known those parents and, and their kids, I'm not going to their kids always turn out bad. That's not it. But the parent just says no for no reason. Uh, my dad always said he wanted to say yes as much as he yeah. possibly could so that when he said no, I actually knew it meant something. That yes. like, whoa, dad is he's serious because he said no. And so my dad said, my parents said yes a lot. I was not a sheltered child and I didn't get to go do anything. I, I would go back to being a teenager. I had a great time in high school, mm-hmm. but it was because my parents also kept me safe yes. and said no for certain things. And, you know, there's a lot of books I would encourage all your listeners to read, but if they're like me, they've got, t- they don't have a lot of time to read and it can be difficult, but there's, if they ever read anything, if, even if they just go to Books a Million and take it off the shelf and read the first chapter of James Dobson, Raising a Strong-Willed Child, just the first chapter. And it talks about a little kid and how, you know, if you all think back to having a little kid and let's say they wanted to climb the stairs and you said no. And then they went over to go climb the stairs and you said no. And then they start sneaking over there. And they go to touch the stairs and they're just kind of looking back at you like, are you going to stop me? That sneaky little thing. What he says the kid is asking in that moment is, are you going to keep me safe? I'm going to push the limit. And that's what kids and teenagers honestly are supposed to do. They need to know where the boundaries are. They need to know where the limits are. And that is frustrating for parents. But it is important so that if you think about your whole purpose in parenting is to raise humans to be adults, right? Like they're going to be adults a whole lot longer than they are to be kids. And so it is important for kids to know boundaries, what is good and what is bad so that they can take that into adult life. And so when you're telling your child no for a specific reason, not because you want to be a killjoy and you don't want them to have fun, but for a good reason, you are answering that question to their little hearts of like, I am your parent and I'm keeping you safe. Don't we all want that? Like, don't we all want, you know, as adults sometimes when we're making decisions and we're buying houses and cars and spending all this money and we're trying to figure stuff out, wouldn't it be nice to have a parent to say, no, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you Don't do that. That that's what being is scary about being an adult is we are in charge of these choices and teenagers, when they get that, too much freedom, too much yes, then that scares them in some way. They're excited on the surface. So that also kind of answers to the question of like, oh, me and my parents aren't going to be there to keep me safe. Yeah. They're they're just letting me do whatever. Mm-hmm. And those are the kids that ultimately say, I don't think my parents love me. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want what's best for me. 
Um, so I you know, encourage your listeners to think back to their own childhood of what was good about it, what was bad. Were their parents too permissive? Were they too restrictive? I mean, and find that balance between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. I think it, to say yes as much as possible so that when we do say no, it means something. Uh, and, and, and helping our kids to understand when we do say no, it's for your good. You know, it's for mm-hmm. your good, and we're doing this to out of protection. And okay, so last question, Laura. Um, yeah. What? Um, just as a therapist, what? What do you see? How can how can the church continue to be a supportive community for teens? Mm-hmm. I think back to my own time in youth group. And I had some good times, I had some bad times in youth group, but I mentioned to somebody the other day, I think the best thing about my youth group growing up was how they pushed my own personal relationship with Jesus. That it, one, it gave me a place to freely worship that, you know, on Sunday mornings with all the adults, it was a little bit more stale, but in youth group, we could worship hands raised um, and just kind of very expressive. And then whenever we would do, camp, I don't know what fellowship does, but we would do camp or retreats. do disciple nows or mm-hmm. retreats and stuff like that. We would always have time after breakfast. They would say, all right, you got 20, 30 minutes to go do your own quiet time. And they would give us kind of an outline. And that, you know, whether or not I, I did it, I mean, I didn't do it necessarily on my own every single day after that. But it taught me how to, so that when I went off to college and I was kind of like, huh, what is faith, what is my faith going to look like outside of my parents and outside of my church? I knew how to do it. I knew how to get a a Bible study and have a little devotional on my own. Mm -hmm. And so that, that set me up well. And you know, there's a, one of my clients who I absolutely adore, I think she does this really well with her kids, is they do a a nightly devotional. Mm Mm-hmm that her child does, and then they discuss it. You know, it's just a little teen devotional. Mm -hmm. And so I know a lot of parents are scared to have a spiritual conversation with their kids because they're like, well, I'm not as spiritual, and they're going to ask me these big questions. That's okay, right? Like, it's okay as a parent to be like, I I don't know the answer to certain things. I can go ask somebody but just being involved in their kids' spiritual life. And I think the church can do a good job of supporting parents on this is how you do that. Mm -hmm. This is how we, you know, if if the church is not equipping families to be families and parents to be parents and teenagers to face this world, to be countercultural, then what are we doing? Um, I mean, the church should be like a home. It should be a safety net to like, oh, we've been out in the world all this time. I'm beat up. I'm coming to a place of rest. Yeah, home should be a place of rest. The church should be a place, a sanctuary. I mean, that's why we use the word sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So those are what I think yeah, the church can yeah, do. Absolutely. And I think that vision of deeply feeling known um, as a teenager, um, not only just within your family of origin, but having other adults who are coming alongside of you that are saying the same thing that your parents are saying, um, that are reinforcing other coaches, uh, in the lives of our, of our kids is a, is a powerful thing. And 
I love the term that you use, the sanctuary, the beauty, the, uh, the goodness of the bride of Christ, of the community of mm. faith, of, of the body of Christ, and the relationships that exist there, and the investment that's needed for that, and you know the, the ongoing reality of connection within that community. And I, I think those are all aspects that um, I think are environments that need to be pursued in order to see our kids um, be more mentally healthy. You know, and I, and I think yeah. just in summary, Laura, I think one of the things that, that I would, through our conversation of just knowing that, um, yes, we are going to feel countercultural. Yes, we are going to, uh, the, the, the world has an agenda and the world is moving a certain direction and we're going to feel like we mm-hmm. are, um, you know, moving upstream in a lot of ways, but that actually mm-hmm. is the very thing that's bringing us life. You know, that's the thing that's mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. saving mm-hmm. us uh, as we experience life in a certain way. And so, you know, my hope is that as more um, families can really do an evaluation of how healthy are we? What are the things that need to change in the rhythm of our family life, in the way we engage relationships, uh, you know, in the way we meter and boundary social media? in the conversations that we have with our kids um, in, you know, the honesty that we have with entering into those places. I can't help but think if that was more, those environments were more secure and uh, that, that we would see uh, less and less of the epidemic of anxiety, depression and suicidal ideation that we're seeing within teen culture. Yeah, 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 I agree. And, yeah. you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, I just, you know, I know we're closing. Just, I want to encourage parents to be parents. Take your rightful place as a parent that God has honored and gifted you with this child because he believes that you can do this. And I think so many things in our culture have told parents that they are not good enough, that they are wrong, that their instincts are bad, that whatever it be, the government or whatever institution knows better than you as a parent how to raise your your children. But the, the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to let us know this is right and this is wrong. And he's given us wise counsel. And it's good to seek wise counsel, whether it be a therapist or a pastor or a friend that you trust. But at the end of the day, you were their parent, and you were going to have to account to the Lord for how you raised them. Mm-hmm. So don't don't be a weak parent that's like, oh, I'm so scared. Or, no, take your rightful place. The Lord thinks that you can handle it, so handle it. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just think I, 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 my heart breaks for parents because I feel like they have been beaten down yeah. um, by this world. And by everybody else telling them how to raise their kids, and even me, right, as I say all these great things to do for your kids, but I'm like, at the end of the day, you were their parent, and you know best. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to encourage parents to just, you know, just as Christians, like, we are not called to be weak or timid. We are called to be strong because Christ makes us strong. Mm -hmm. So be those kind of parents. Be bold. And that, once you get on the other side of it, and, and you are living that bold parenting life, there is so much joy and freedom that comes in that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Laura, thank you so much for your, your wisdom, for your work, um, for, uh, the, I'm just, uh, the gifts that God's put in you to pour out for the good of others. Uh, it's a beautiful thing and, uh, appreciate our friendship. I appreciate, uh, you just yeah. giving your time to this. I think it'll be very, very helpful, uh, for our community. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today on the Storyform podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.